Welcome back to Technotopia, a podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Gil Penchina. He is a thinker in the cryptocurrency space. This is Technotopia. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York, that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy Fun Corp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com Welcome back to Technotopia, a podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Gil Penchina. He's a partner at Ridge Ventures, an angel investor, and he's created multiple startups already in multiple spaces. Welcome, Gil. I'm, your your, your uh, reputation precedes you. You understand this, right? Well, it's uh, great to meet you, <laughs> and uh, I'm excited to be here. I'm uh, not really sure what my reputation is, but I'm glad to hear it's out there. <laughs> you're a uh, you're you're the you're the crypto guru. You're the everybody I ran around with when I was when I was doing stuff in uh, in the valley. Everybody's go talk to Gil. Go talk to Gil, and yeah. then I get to talk to Gil. Um, there you go. Why don't you set the stage for us? Based on your understanding of the crypto industry, let's let's assume that the audience understands what a Bitcoin is, what an Ethereum. Uh, uh, and a Ethereum-based token is, uh, but what do you think is happening in the crypto space right now that's so important, that's making freaking Bitcoin go up to 6000 bucks today, right? What's happening? Yeah, so I, I, I don't really tend to speculate on the day-to-day price because mm-hmm. I'm not a, not a hedge fund guy. But, you know, in many ways, what, what's happening in uh, this decentralized technology, which is what the blockchain and, and Bitcoin really inspired, is the idea that you can get the middleman out of everything. And uh, I've been writing a lot recently about how the people who think this is a financial service uh, revolution sort of misunderstand it in the same way that people used to look at the internet in 1995 and go, oh, it's a great way to, you know, for librarians to index things. <laughs> this is store recipes. Right. It's a, <laughs> I mean, and if you think about it, like the internet in 95, if you had told me that I would spend most of my time watching television on the internet, I would have <laughs> laughed at you because, yeah. you know, even, even by 2000, I couldn't watch, you know, back then broadcast.com. It was terrible. And that's, that's exactly, um, that's a, that's a fascinating point. Like I was thinking about what, when I was a kid, I grew up in the eighties. So what were people thinking about in terms of computers? Well, why, why would you have a computer in your home? And they literally said, Oh, it's to, uh, it's to hold your recipes. It's you put it in yeah. the kitchen and you hold your recipes. And that's, that was such a silly use case that it just didn't, is didn't, didn't make any sense. Back. It's crazy. Right. I mean, I used to play ASCII Star Trek text-based Star Trek on my uh, CompuServe account and nearly bank- bankrupted my parents doing it mm-hmm. back, back then. And so, you know, the blockchain is, is in many ways along a similar path, right? It is in its infancy. It's proven to be uh, useful and effective at a few things, right? One of them is is creating a stored value, which is what Bitcoin is. It's essentially like in many ways sort of like gold. Mm-hmm. Um, another is building a decentralized computing platform. And so you could think of Ethereum and startups like Filecoin as as basically building the next version of AWS. And, you know, I was talking to a friend recently who was like, well, you know, Jeff Bezos runs things at zero profit. How are you ever going to beat AWS? And I, I sort of looked at him and, and, and said, you know, gee, I don't think you understand AWS. I mean, 
first of all, Amazon actually makes about 30% profit margins there. It's a very mm -hmm. profitable business for them. Um, where the decentralized version, you know, Filecoin is going to make zero profit. Amazon buys hardware. Filecoin is going to get whatever hardware is left over that people aren't using. So, you know, it is my strong assumption that the crypto, what I would call the planetary computer that's eventually going to happen mm -hmm. as Augur and Filecoin and other infrastructure projects come of age over the next few years, they'll run at zero profit. They'll use excess capacity everywhere in the world, and they will, by definition, have to be the cheapest service available. So, so the so that that running at zero profit that seems like an anathema to to everything that we've thought about in terms of in terms of computing. I understand exactly where you're coming from, obviously, but how would you explain that to a person who's saying you got to make a billion dollars, or you're not? It's not even worth it. Yeah, it's crazy, right? Um, in the same way that, you know, if you remember Bill Gates back in the day saying open source software was crazy, right? <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, if you don't pay people to write software, why would anyone ever write software? And then you look at Linux and MySQL and, you know, all these other open source projects and you go, huh, okay. Yeah. And, and so the way to think about these protocols, um, you know, the, the Ethereums and sort of file coins of the world is they're building essentially an open source software project where the developers are paid by the value of the token that the project maintains. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the more Filecoin does to make Filecoin useful, the more valuable Filecoins will be. So it's an open and source, it's an open source project with a true, not altruistic incentive, but an actual incentive. Yeah. In, in a weird way, Filecoin is more capitalist than MySQL, mm -hmm. which is confusing um, <laughs> to a lot of people. But, you know, the good protocols uh, really do fundamentally build a, a open system where anyone can contribute their resources and they don't take this middleman commission. And that is really weird for a lot of guys who have run these centralized cloud businesses like Google and Amazon. Right? It's hard to compete with someone who seems crazy. What happens to those guys? Um. I don't know. I mean, the the there's a part of me that says they've been very adept at sort of watching trends and getting on them, whether it's self-driving cars or robotics or flying drones. And there's no reason to think they won't issue their own you know, Amazon coin and mm -hmm. Google coin for various resources. And then there's sort of the classic Clay Christensen dilemma, you know, innovators dilemma argument, which is they can't afford to let this be successful because all it does is cannibalize their business. Do, so, do, we, do we enter an era when Google basically does the same uh, FUD that Microsoft did in the early days of Linux? Is it? Yeah, is, well, I mean, <laughs> do we do we go full circle here? Does the snake eat its tail ultimately, where right. the guys who were not supposed to be evil become the evil empire? It, it very well may. Now, I mean, to be fair, Google is very supportive of open sure, source sure, software, sure, sure. right? But uh, yeah. I mean, you could clearly see them doing the same thing Larry Ellison did five years ago where he goes, cloud is crap. I don't know mm -hmm. why anyone's talking about cloud. And then at some point, Larry becomes a cloud company, mm -hmm. right? So uh, it'll be interesting to watch. So what do you say. think of the uh, what do you think of the excitement about token sales and everything? I, uh, the, the, do you think the current hype is sustainable? Uh, is this what it's going to look like in, in the next five years? You know, it's hard to tell. I mean, for those of us who were around in 
98 and 99 and 2000 mm-hmm. every year felt more hype than the last year. Yep. And, uh, what I would say is we've had hype in token sales for probably six months. Mm-hmm. You know, if I was a betting man, I'd say we've got two, three, four years before the hype reach, reaches sort of the peak of, of silliness. Sure. Um, so I think we've actually got quite a long way to go. And if you look at, you know, the combined market cap of all of these things, it's really not much more than PayPal. Mm-hmm. And what they're building is more like PayPal and <laughs> AWS and Facebook and a few other things. So, you know, I'm, I'm pretty bullish. Are these, so the, the issue that I see with a lot of these companies, and I've been, I've been doing this token reporter thing, kind of focusing on one or two of them a week is that they mm-hmm. don't have a lot of product. They don't, they're not coming out with product. They're coming out with, with promises. Is, is that a problem or is, or is that, is that the, the way of all things? It's the way it's been for in, uh, in the Valley for years, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you know, was it magically just got a sure. $5 billion valuation and isn't, hasn't released a product yet either. So I think the Valley is more understanding of deep tech and I guess the way I would think about it is there are some deep technical projects that actually do take some time that are able to raise money early because of celebrity founders like, say, Polkadot with, you know, Gavin, one of the early mm-hmm. um, Ethereum devs where everyone goes, well, geez, it's Gavin and it's an interesting idea. I, I bet on him. Uh, you know, that that's sort of actually classic Valley. But then there's also companies like the one I'm involved in, Prize who are actually gener- you know, creating a token and launching it before doing any sort of offerings. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a, you know, it's a mix of, you know, some people doing it the right way, some people doing it the celebrity way, and some people to your point, you know, in ra- trying to raise money based on PowerPoint effectively and everyone's crossing their fingers. It's a mix mm-hmm. as with every, you know, innovation. What do you look for when you look at a uh, when you look at a token sale? What's the, you, you you mentioned the mix? What are the what are the aspects of that mix that you like? Uh, well, clearly a a high quality technical team is is first on my list because whatever the environment is today, you should assume it's going to change a year or two from now, and they need to be able to you know adapt and continue to innovate. Um, the second, and it sounds weird, but it'd be really nice if it had something that required a distributed trustless <laughs> system. Yep. Um, you know, I got an email last week from some guys at Sandcoin, a Russian <laughs> quarry that is selling coin. You get sand in Russia for your coin. <laughs> I um, mean, you need, they need sand. They need sand around the world. Uh, right? uh, I'm like, I get it. How, how granular just, is it? How granular? How, oh, yeah. how... oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Quality of the sand. Um, you know, that's probably one I would pass on. But, you know, maybe I'm the idiot. I don't know. Um, so I, you, you tend to look for something where the, the decentralized nature of it actually adds value. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'll give you an example. Someone came to me and said, I'm running a decentralized database that you can use inside your company. I would say that seems really dumb because... Mm-hmm regular MySQL databases are actually much faster and cheaper. Yep. If I'm running a decentralized database that shares a property registry of people around the world, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Prizet as an example is doing a decentralized sweepstakes. It allows marketers to sort of create a sweepstakes and not have to deal with escrow and hiring a third party to sort of select the winner out of the pot. 
right? And so they sort of automate a bunch of essentially compliance and regulatory overhead. And instead, you can just put up a prize on the blockchain and people enter and the prize gets sent out and you've saved a bunch of money and time on regulatory and compliance and legal and escrow. How do you, that, yeah. In, in this I mean, case, that's sort of what the blockchain is good at, mm-hmm. right? But in, in that in that case that, that you said, it, it was if if I were if I weren't and I, I come at this from, a, I guess, a devil's advocate point of view, because sure. I have to because I have to I have to explain it to human beings. If if you if you you could tell me that that prize it for example all the way through and I it sounds sounds like a fine idea you can tell me all the way through when then you hit the blockchain idea I'm I'm my my parents who maybe submit to like a, I don't know a posted a post Quaker Oats uh, sweepstakes occasionally and they mm-hmm. know all they have to do is go online and put in their name and number and they'll be entered into any contest that they click on this on this special web page. But what happens at that bit at that at that blockchain stage? What happens when the reward is associated with the blockchain specifically? Is the reward have to become out in cryptocurrency? Does the does the reward how do I unlock the real real life value of that reward? Uh, yeah. and I think so, that's the last mile question. Oh, it's it's the endless question. Right. Well, so blockchain is not really good at user interface today. Mm-hmm. So in this case, your your parents would go to pryze.com. They would download the app. They would enter and it would feel totally normal. And if they won, they would get an alert saying that they have, you know, received some Ethereum or other crypto that they can send to their wallet. So it feels very normal from a consumer standpoint, but from a, a regulator standpoint, mm-hmm. You know, the regulator is saying, hey, you know, uh, you know, Kellogg cereal, we, we don't want you to pick the winner because you might give it to your brother. And, you know, Kellogg cereal can now say, well, we put it up on this distributed cloud where a you know series of computers make the selection for us. You know, we were not you know, influencing who the winner was. Mm-hmm. So it's really, you know, working in the background. The consumer doesn't have to see, a, you know, see and trust it. They just have to, you know, add their information on that and example. The, and the ultimate hope is that at some point there's going to be a smart enough wallet that that everybody can use, right? Yeah, I mean, there's some decent ones. You know, Coinbase, frankly, is sort of the consumer favorite recently, um, and it feels a lot like PayPal. You go and you mm-hmm. sign up, and you know, they sort of take care of all these weird 256 character numbers and letters for you. All right. So what is what does this whole thing look like in twenty years? What do what do we end up uh, what do we end up with once we keep doing all this? Well, I mean, the first thing you end up with is a more efficient financial system, right? Where the middlemen, the banks, the investment banks, who, for example, package up my credit card and sell it out in packages to pension funds, mm-hmm. all of, you know, a lot of that goes away and becomes a lot cheaper. So guys like Jamie Dimon lose their jobs because these profit centers and Aggregating mortgages and credit cards become much less profitable. You know, the other thing that happens is, you know, think of all the computers in the world being available to you whenever you needed them at the lowest possible price. And I don't just mean, you know, my laptop. I mean my coffee machine and my Tesla. Mm-hmm. Like I was joking with a friend that, you know, one day I'm going to wake up and there'll be an update on my Tesla that says, if you're in a hurry, click this button. <laughs> and your Tesla will pay people to get out of the way in front of you. And you can eff- effectively have dynamic peer-to-peer congestion management systems mm-hmm. where people can create fast lanes for enough money. 
Um, so I think it's it's really going to sort of make a lot of things more dynamic. Micropayments will make a lot of things sort of very interesting. You know, you'll have a much more fluid society where you can sort of pay by the minute for anything, you know, whether it's your house or, you know, lunch, um, you know, I think it sort of changes a lot of the friction that we have in our day-to-day life. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I guess that, I guess that, that, well, I mean, what the question I'm asking is exactly the question, what are, what are you going to do with your super, super fast, uh, computer network? If I ask you that question, 1988, you're going to say, we're going to put some recipes up on it. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's, I think, I think it's an interesting, it's an, it's a fascinating answer. I mean, I think the, do you think that the friction of, of uh, commerce is a could it could it unlock hidden potentials and what kind of potentials could you see aside from getting going faster in the Tesla lane? Yeah, but it's sort of like your your comment about twenty years ago, right? If you had told mm-hmm. me twenty years ago everyone would have a supercomputer in their phone, I wouldn't have said driving people around for Uber would be the number one <laughs> use case. Um, but it kind of is. Um, I mean, I think you know just. Again, the, the notion that I think property goes away is one of the more interesting ones that mm-hmm. you when you're tired, the nearest bed opens up to you when you need to go somewhere, the nearest car stops and you get in when you're hungry, you know, food gets, you know, dropped down from a drone above you. Um, it may, you know, these these things like renting an apartment or buying a car or deciding where to eat may go away. And the cognitive load of those things gets replaced by microtransactions. Mm-hmm. That would be sort of an interesting example. Okay, fascinating. All right, you're gonna you're gonna be uh, you're gonna be at the forefront of this, right? You're gonna be uh, you're gonna be running the the super the supercar program. Or actually, nobody's gonna be running the supercar program. It's gonna be no, completely right. decentralized. Yeah. Well, there's still somebody writing the code, or there's groups mm-hmm. of people writing the code, but nobody is yet. Nobody is operating it, right? So. I've gotten involved in a few of these. I, I helped start the prize team. Mm-hmm. I have been an investor in uh, Civic and Filecoin and Brave and Ripple and a handful of other ones. And uh, it is really sort of exciting to see these things starting to hit momentum. And, you know, there's an old truism in Silicon Valley that you, if you follow where the developers and the money goes, mm-hmm. you will find interesting things. And this is a massive gravitational well that is sucking in almost every investor and developer I know. Okay. When last question, when when the when the ability to make money on the margins of of commerce is is essentially decentralized and completely computerized, what uh, what does the human do? If we can't arbitrage that well anymore, what do we do? Well, you know, we do whatever it is other people need, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, we went from an agrarian economy to a manufacturing economy, we went from manufacturing to services. Now we're going from services to sort of, I mean, I don't know what's next, right? There's still going to be developers writing stuff. There's still going to be things that can't be done by a computer. Um, you know, there's a lot more money spent on art and movies and video games than there used to be. And you can think of them all as really, you know, Entertainment is just another word for art, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, you know, I could argue that entertainment is going to be an area that remains a bastion of human creativity over machine creativity for a while. Okay. 
Um, and so we may spend more time on service and art and, you know, discovery and less time on cooking fries, which, <laughs> you know, actually is okay. Maybe we'll get a, maybe we'll get another Renaissance out of this whole thing. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it really, again, the, these jobs don't go away. Like mm -hmm. there was some stat from McKinsey that there are more bank tellers now than there were 20 years ago, despite the fact that I haven't been to a bank and I can't tell you how long. Interesting. Hmm. All right. Very cool. Thank you, Gil, for thank you for joining us. This is a, uh, this is some fascinating stuff. This is uh, this is exactly what I wanted for the, for the show because it gives us a, it gives us a view on exactly what's happening right now. And you're at the forefront of it. Very cool. Well, I appreciate it. It's good fun chatting and uh, let's do it again soon. All right. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. Thanks Technotopia is brought to you by typewriter. Typewriter is your on-demand editor, and their amazing team of writers will make your book chapter, blog post, or email shine. Typewriter editors come from places like TechCrunch, Gizmodo, and the New York Times, and they offer low bulk rates for longer work. Check it out at typewriter.plus. That's typewriter.plus.